Okay, good morning, everybody. We're continuing our class on Zrizus, on the Mida of alacrity, of, of moving quickly, of um, get up and go, right? Getting things done. Um, and we're talking about that and its opposite, which in Hebrew is called shiflut, right? From the word shefela, which means a valley, which are is basically reflected by low energy, um, the inability to get things done, procrastinating, finding excuses for not doing what you need to do. As we said, the difference between a matzah and chametz, right? Only a matter of time where the same ingredients, flour and water, turn into something that rather than being a mitzvah anymore becomes an avera to eat, right? Becomes a sin during Pesach. And so too, the rabbis explained that a deed, a mitzvah from the same letters as matzot, mitzvot, that when you delay in doing a mitzvah, it's no longer the same mitzvah. It comes with a different message attached and it's considered blemished if it's something that took you too long to get around to, right? The other person receives it in a way that says, well, I guess you didn't really care if we're talking about a mitzvah between people or a mitzvah between us and Hashem, obviously. Same message, right? It's not really that important to me, my relationship with you, Hashem. You know, I'll get around to it when I can. And even, you know, we have a relationship with ourselves. There's something called self-care. There's something called taking care of you. And that too, for some people, is a real, uh, you know, some people are really good at it. Some people are too good at it. And then, you know, some people are not, and they need to be reminded that everything begins with you. As I heard somebody say recently, you know, when we bench, when we say the Birkat Hamazon, we say, Oti, the Et Baali, the Et Sari. So she was pointing out that we ask Hashem to bless. The first person we ask Hashem to bless is me, right? Then my husband, then my children. And the message there is you got to take care of yourself if you want to take care of everybody else. So we can even have shiflut in that area. But just to get back to the things that can cause shiflut, that can make a person feel like, you know, I just don't want to do it. It doesn't really matter. So just quickly, we said number one is a low self-image. That when a person has a low self-image, they feel like it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter if I show up. Nobody really cares. I'm not that important, et cetera. Okay, number two was setting your goals too high. So, you know, that's, um, you know, making your goals something that you can't reach. So then you can say, well, you know, if it's not going to be perfect, if it's not going to be, you know, exactly the way I want it to be, then I, I can't do it. I'm not doing it. And we talked about people who host other people who do the mitzvah of Hachnasat Orchim, for example, inviting guests, you know, but if it's not like, you know, up to their standards, they're not going to do it. So maybe they're only going to do it very rarely because it takes so much time and energy as opposed to somebody, somebody who says, you know what, this is an important mitzvah. It doesn't have to be perfect. So again, setting your goals too high. Number three, we said was which friend, who do you choose as your friends? This also can affect your zrizut and shifla. Sometimes you choose friends that have a lower standard than you. So you can rest on your laurels and not have to feel like you have to move 
or change or grow or do that thing or reach higher. And then the opposite is true. You choose friends who are way above you, right? Who've got all their kugels made long before Pesach begins. And then you feel frustrated and you feel like, oh, why even bother? I can't. I'm just, I'm just not there, right? So interesting how this works. Okay, we talked about three things that um, are as reason zappers, right? We said hating hard work, loving pleasure, too much pleasure. And I can't remember what was the third one. I think it was sleeping too much. Um, yeah, too much sleep from Masila Yasharim, from the path of our just, the Ramchal says, these are the three Zriza zappers. So here too, when you hate hard work, it naturally results in shifla, in not wanting to move and not wanting to get things done that require some planning and maybe some hard work. Okay, number five was being cynical, right? Uh, scorning a new idea or a new madrega that might make you have to reach higher. Madrega meaning like another step up, right? So you hear about somebody who does something, you know, let's say in the religious spectrum, and you say, oh, that's fanatical, right? That's crazy. They're really like, you know, they're really whatever the word would be in Yiddish, uh, funyaki, I don't know, whatever it is. They're just there that's not that's not Judaism right so we'll scorn something we'll be mezalzel something because this way we get out of having to reach for it okay the definition of a fanatic everybody remembers anybody who's more religious than I am that is a fanatic okay um okay number six is when we carry around unprocessed situations in our own lives, when we're weighed down by different relationships in our life, different conflicts that have never been resolved either with others or within ourselves, right? Um, the inability to let go of resentment, the inability to let go of certain thoughts and feelings, that we haven't really been able to work through or just the reality of having some difficult people in our life that we can't get rid of. Okay, this could be a shiftlet zapper. So connected to this is the last one, number seven, which is guilt. Guilt weighs us down. In terms of shiftless, shiflut in Hebrew, if you like the Hebrew pronunciation, it slows you down, it doesn't let you move forward, and it doesn't let you accomplish because it's usually um, connected to fruitless rumination, right? Going over and over the situation, going over and over the episode. Why did I say that? I should have done it like this. I wish I had done this. Oh my goodness. And doing that so much that you, you, you use up the energy that could be being used for Zerizos, right? And moving forward, you use it up. And, you know, in a, in a toxic way, in a way that just weighs you down and makes you feel unable to move on. Your brain isn't free to go and move on. And of course, it affects your body as well. It affects your ability to want to get up and go. Okay, so those are the seven points. Okay, we're going to go forward now. We, we 
we left that with the question, how do we overcome these things and work with them? Okay, so we're going to the Mishnah in Pirkei Avos again in chapter five, which is great because we know that we are learning Pirkei Avos during this time period as we go towards Shavuos. We're learning about how to polish our midos, how to refine our character so that we can be receptacles for the Torah, so that the Torah can actually dwell within us, right? Making room by working to get rid of our negative character traits. But here in chapter five, Mishnah 23, Yehuda ben Tema said, be bold as a leopard, light as an eagle, swift as a deer, and strong as a lion to carry out the will of your father in heaven. Okay, I'm sure you're familiar with this Mishnah. So this Mishnah compares us to four different animals. And we're going to compare these animals to four stages in accomplishing a task. Okay, very interesting. So, Ravolba, again, who I've mentioned before, who was a Muslim master in our generation, um, who was Nifter not so long ago. He died not so long ago, and his son continues his work. He says you have to look from a different angle at these words, you know, be brazen like a leopard, light like an eagle, run like a deer, and have courage like a lion. So you have to look at it differently to understand how to accomplish a task. So the first one, which says, be bold as a leopard. He says, this is the beginning of the task. It's called initiating a plan. You need chutzpah to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make a change. We call it holy chutzpah, okay? <laughs> we know that chutzpah can be a negative word, but we're using chutzpah in a positive way. Everything can be used for negative or, or positive. So this is holy chutzpah, okay? You need chutzpah to say, I'm going to make a change, right? People who start organizations, people who want to fix a problem, they need to have chutzpah. Meekness is not going to solve a problem. And this can be in terms of changing a pattern in your own life, something that you do that you'd rather not do, some habit that you'd like to get out of or some habit that you want to begin. It takes chutzpah. You have to be like the leopard, bold, okay? And it's about changing something in my life. It takes chutzpah to even think you can make a change. So this is stage one of Zrizos. Now the second one is to be kal kanesher, light like an eagle. And we talked about this before in the class on Simcha Sachayim, that why does this Mishnah use the bird, the eagle, which is the heaviest of all birds, to tell us that we're supposed to be light like an eagle. So Rav Chaim Vital tells us that the eagle rises high because of its wings. People are heavy and they get bogged down. But just like the eagle, they have wings to rise above it. So step two, once a person begins with this chutzpah, this desire to change, something in their life to move forward 
is to not get bogged down by the details that involve that's involved in it, right? Let's say you're starting a new organization or you have a vision of doing some chesed that you want to really get other people involved in. So the first Yetzir Hara that's going to come up is there's going to be all these details. What about this? What about that? What about this? Oh, you know, and try to crush your chutzpah. But the idea is, is that here you have to be a person with vision. Actually, no, I'm sorry. The idea here is that there are people who have vision, but they can't handle the details. Okay, so you might have a great idea, but as soon as you start thinking into the execution of the idea, there are people who give up right here. They get bogged down by the details, But when you're Kal Kanesher, when you're light like an eagle, you're able to be to rise above that, to not get bogged down by the details and hold on to your vision and your motivation. To rise above the details and not be dejected or phased by them. It's interesting because I was thinking of it in terms of men and women that, you know, so the first step is to have the, the vision, the chutzpah to say, I want to change. I see something. I want to change something. I either want to change it by starting an organization, by doing something like that, or I want to change something in myself. So this is the flash of inspiration, so to speak. This is the vision. It's likened to the male in a relationship that provides the seed, which is like the flash of inspiration. It's a moment. But the woman is like the second idea that she takes this inspiration and she carries it for nine months, right? It's a process. It's details. It's not getting, it's heavy. <laughs> it's heavy, right? I mean, we could say that even literally and physically, but you know, she's, taking that flash of inspiration and she's carrying it and she's seeing it to its end. She's not getting bogged down, so to speak, by the details. Okay, then we have ruts kitsvi, which means run like a deer. So this means to run with your plan. So again, the first stage is like the creative flash, flash of inspiration. The second step is don't be bothered by the details now that are coming into view, now that you've decided this is what you want to do. And the third idea is running with the plan. And this is where many may run out of their zrizos. Okay, this is where a lot of plans die or ideas fail. So the Masilis Yasharim says you have to have an inner rutzon, an inner will, an inner desire to keep going. In the Masilis Yasharim, it says you have to hold on to the mitzvah and not let it go. And the mashal, the parable that they give is like, let's say you're playing basketball. So this Rav Leichter give, gives a parable. He says, you know, you're in the middle of a ball game. You have the ball. You don't let anyone intercept until you shoot that ball. 
nobody's going to stop you from getting to where you want to go. This is the rut zone. Or, you know, I was thinking about it in my own life, you know, having to have played piano in the Kiwanis Music Festival from I don't know how what age until when. You know, I asked my mother that, I told my mother I wanted to play the piano. This is a story she tells me at four years old. She would remind me when I would say, you know, I, I want to quit. She'd say, you asked, you wanted to play the piano. And, and she said, you know, and I said, I know, but I, I wanted to quit by six. Okay. At six, I was done. But she told me I couldn't quit until I got my grade eight conservatory, which took me until 16. And then just a spider, I kept going, you know, for another few months. And then I quit on my terms. But anyway, I had to go to the Kiwanis Music Festival and one of the things that I was taught there, and maybe it, it sort of relates to this idea, is that, you know, you're playing the piece and you flub a note. And the idea was that you were taught is you just keep on going because nobody knows. Only you know. And it's only if you get flustered and stop or make a big deal about it that you're not going to finish the piece and perhaps even do well. So this is the idea here, I think. Run like a deer, just keep on going. You've got your goal, you wanna to get to the end of it and you're not gonna let anybody stop. You're not gonna let anything get in your way. Okay, and the last idea here is to be courageous like a lion. So here we're talking about the finishing touches, the courage to put on the finishing touches. Now, there's a psychological reality that there are people who run out of steam just before they get to the finish line. Maybe this has happened in your life and, in, in, you know, who give up when they're so close. And this is a real psychological phenomenon because the idea is, is that you need courage to, to run across that line. And sometimes it's because of a fear of success. Oh no, if I do this, then people are going to expect more of me. Right? Now everybody's going to have raised the bar on what I can do. And they're going to expect this of me over and over again. So that could be part of the psychology of not wanting to finish. So the Mishnah, this Mishnah comprises four aspects of accomplishing. And the very last part of this accomplishment, again, this courage is the attribute of Gevura, right? Something that we talked about, Gevura, which is, you know, discipline, boundaries, um, knowing what you're going for right? And, and, and blocking out everything else, right? The boundaries are, I'm blocking out all of those deterrents, all of those things that want to sideline me, that want to sidetrack me. And I know I've got my eye on the ball. I know what I want, whether it's personal change, whether it's um, something external, whether it's a relationship that you want to mend, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to get there. So 
Why do we need Gavura to finish the plan, to put the finishing touches, to cross the finish line? So the question is, why are people scared to finish something up? Why would you commit to a plan and then not finish it? So there's a, there's a um, I don't know what, it wouldn't be an expression. There's a term called all but dissertation. For those of you who are in the academic world, it's called ABD. Okay, and the question that is asked is here's somebody who's been busy with their academic career, they're working on their PhD, and the very last thing they have to do is their dissertation. So there's something called ABD, which means they just can't do it, all but dissertation, and they drop out right before the end. Literally, it could be 30 years of work in the academic world, and they don't finish it. You know, I've got this coaching course sort of hanging over my head because I finished the, the, the coursework already quite a while ago. And now I have this end part, which is sending in four samples of coaching and then a three-hour test, you know. And the fourth demo that you send in has to be um, uh, judged to be able to write the test. So this is my hump. This is like, you know, I'd rather be teaching you guys and sitting here and talking about Torah than do this. So I hope it's not going to end up ABD for me, but that's the idea that you just don't finish. And, um, and why does this happen? So, you know, in terms of, again, the academic world, it's easier to be in school than to have to go out into the world and find a job. Right. So the, uh, Comfort of the ivory tower, which is what, you know, the academic world is called. And just staying there and continuing your studies without having to go out into the world, that could be a reason for ABD, for all but dissertation, for not finishing. And you have people who have commitment problems, right? For example, you know, people who date and date and date and are never able to make that final decision. They can't make the final commitment. Dina Schoonmaker tells a story about a father who took out a l'chaim four different times for her daughter that got engaged four different times and bro then broke it up. So she said, it takes courage to make a commitment because the process is often safer than the end. Right? We'd rather stay in the process because there's something about finishing that psychologically doesn't, doesn't make us feel comfortable. So this is very interesting. I love this idea. Rabbi Rietti says that um, the word, the word C-I-D-E, side, which is Latin, actually means to kill. Now, where do you see C-I-D-E in the word decide? suicide, fratricide, right? Fratricide is somebody who kills their brother, suicide, obviously yourself, decide. He says, What's, what, why is decision so hard? Because you're killing something else. When you make a decision, when you decide, you're saying, okay, I'm gonna close my options to everything else and I'm going with this. You have to kill, so to speak, all those options. 
And that's why sometimes it's very difficult for people to finish something because it could mean, okay, this is, I'm deciding, you know, this is what I'm going to do. And that's hard. There's a fear in closing your options. And some people have a really hard time with big major decisions, which isn't unusual. And then she says, you see this in the everyday things. People design something, but they won't finish it. Even making a cake. They'll make a cake for somebody's simcha, but they'll decide they don't like the way it looks. So they won't bring it. They'll sew something and they won't do the final hem. Right? They'll make the cake, but not put the icing on. I don't know. Whatever it is, they, they're worried that, ugh, it's not going to be good enough. But she said it's more than that. It's also something about showing your product to the outside world is very intimidating. Because sometimes you'd rather have it stay unfinished for two reasons, like I said earlier, either out of fear of failure. Oh, the cake didn't really turn out the way I wanted it to. It's not perfect. I can't give it. I'm not going to do it. Nobody's going to like it, you know. It's going to be terrible and all the other things we say. And I'm so much better usually. And, you know, if somebody like would compliment me on my challah or, oh, you don't know. It's so much better. It was so much better last week. You have no idea, you know, whatever, especially as women, right? Oh, this old thing, oh, it was only $22 at winners. You know, don't get so excited about it. I don't know why we do that. Why we do that, it's interesting psychology why we do that, right? We either don't like the attention, we want to downplay. I don't know what it is, but maybe it's related to something like this, okay? So sometimes it's a, we stay unfinished out of a fear of failure, or again, it could be a fear of success. So the fear of failure, again, is it won't come out the way I want it to. And so I'm not going to do it, or I'm not going to present it, or I'm not going to show it. And the fear of success is if it's good, it's going to up the bar of what people now expect of me, right? If I host somebody at my house and she goes out and says, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe it. What a cook, what a, I, I mean, where we stayed and it was so beautiful and all the touches and, oh, you got, you know, so I don't want to have that bar raised so high that I know that everybody knows that this is what's expected of me. Okay, so again, it requires courage to finish. It requires courage to be a lion and finish, whether it's your degree, whether it's getting married or making a huge change in life or moving or getting out of Canada and going on an airplane somewhere. Could you imagine? <laughs> no. I'm just saying like, yeah, we are really intimidated. We are really intimidated. You know, I, I mentioned, you know, that my daughter-in-law, I guess, who's more feisty than, than we are. She said, you know, you guys, Canadians, you just have a, we have a slave mentality. We just don't know how to overcome it at the best of times. But now it's really intense. We don't have that chutzpah that Americans are born with. We met some Americans on the street last night. She was going on and on. What's going on in Canada? You know, this young girl and her husband, whatever. 
what's going on? She goes, I'm getting all this stuff on social media. Do you want to see it about people who are like trapped in their homes? I said, no, I don't want to see it. Okay. I don't want to hear about, I've heard enough. She goes, I mean, it's a fascist country. It's, it's crazy. I mean, and I said to my husband, you see how, you know, and she said, and people are starting to get upset over there. They, they're actually finally starting to get upset. And, 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 you know, like I said to her, well, I'll tell you what my father used to say when I was growing up. And he used to say all the time about the difference between Canadians and Americans. He'd say, if the, if the American, sorry, if the Canadian government would do to the Americans what they do to the Canadians, there would be revolutions in the street. So he was saying this long before COVID, just in general, in terms of politics. And, you know, she was basically saying the same thing that, wow, they're starting to wake up maybe on her social media and do stuff, but whatever. I said to my husband, anybody who's married to an American, okay, it's, it's easier, you know, just was leaving Canada all through this thing because they just, they had an American spouse who said, we're out of here, you know, but if you're both Canadian, you're both going, no way, we can't, we can't, we can't leave, we can't, we got to follow the rules, you know. Okay. All right. Um, it's hard to talk to myself without hearing you guys. Okay. So, as my, I told you, my daughter once called and I was laughing and talking to you guys. She goes, do you always laugh at your own jokes and nobody else laughs with you? I said, honey, they're all muted, okay? I know they're laughing. I just look at Marlene and I know, okay? <laughs> and Kim, Kim's laughing. She just came on to laugh. <laughs> Good, Caroline's laughing. Okay, because I know when I go out on these, uh, you know, my sit down comedy routines. Okay. So if it's not going to be perfect, I'd rather not finish it. Perfectionism can kill the desire to do things. So that's where the courage comes in. It's not perfect. It's okay. People will like my cake. People will say it's good. It's good enough. It's great. So this is the Zrizot Zapper. So which are the areas of my life that I need to energize myself? Where am I stuck in a negative place where I can try to infuse more Zrizut? Okay, wow, we finished that. Hold on one second. I didn't think I'd get to the end. What time is it? Okay, good. Okay, so let's continue. So again, Let's go through the four steps again. Number one is initiate a plan, which we call chutzpah, right? Be bold like a leopard, bold, chutzpah, oz kanemer. Number two, be kal kanesher, be light like an eagle. Don't get bogged down by the details. Use your wings to fly above them. There may be a lot of details. Don't let the negative people get you down, right? We can do this. There's details to take care of. Number three, running with the plan. That's your inner rut zone, your desire that just keeps your eye on the ball and allows you to move forward. And number four was finishing the plan, not leaving it, not having all but dissertation. Okay, so today we're going to talk about today. I mean, right now we're going to talk about the idea of different dimension of speed and alacrity. 
okay? Because again, we usually think of the word uh, zriza or alacrity in terms of speed, people who do things quickly. And like we said, this is part of a person's home air. Some people are quicker. Some people can get through a grocery store in, you know, 15 minutes and other people will take 45 minutes to do the same shopping. So it's also how we're wired. Some people are just naturally more speedy, more efficient, and others are not. Others are slow and schleppy, right? You have this with your children. You know, the ones that like you could never get out the door, right? It's like, will you put that shirt on already? You know? <laughs> and others that were just easier, right? So um, some kids get out of bed and get going and others, you just will never expect them ever to jump out of bed. Right? It's like a car. Some engines need to warm up before they can get you to where you want to go. So there's a certain ambivalence when we talk about Zerizos in terms of speed, because again, some people are wired to be speedy and some people are wired to be slower. Okay? Because what we usually associate speed with is ambition. Somebody who's speedy, who gets things done quickly, well, they're ambitious. So why is speed a factor when it comes to spiritual goals? Wouldn't we want to slow down, daven with more kavana, think before we act? Doesn't that make more sense than doing things in a speedy way? So in the Torah, there's a pasuk, which I've quoted before, which says, Ushmartem et hamatzot, that you have to guard the matzot. And as we said many times, the word matzot and mitzvot are interchangeable. Whatever we learn about matzot, we can learn about mitzvot in general. The only difference, again, between matzah and chametz is time. Matzah is a mitzvah. A mitzvah's asay, a positive mitzvah. Whereas chametz, when you eat chametz on Pesach, Pesach, it's considered one of the worst averas. One of the worst sins that a Jew can do is to eat chametz during Pesach. So clearly time has the ability to change something from being something good to being something bad. Okay, this is a little bit of a review, so I don't want to go over what we already talked about. But basically, again, Rav Huttner in Pachad Yitzchak says that matzahs have to be baked with speed, and procrastination or a time lapse is teaching us that in, when it comes to a vodas Hashem, when it comes to doing a mitzvah for God, for Hashem, um, a time lapse or procrastinating is not just a lack of a good thing, but rather imposes a blemish on the mitzvah that's being done. You can't say about matzah, okay, I know it's all, it's supposed to be 18 minutes, but nishka fair lachs, we're going to make this matzah in 21 minutes, okay? What's the big deal? Relax, 
Okay? You can't do that. It turns into chametz. It's no longer matzah. It's chametz. So delays often change the entity of the mitzvah. So back again to this uh, idea of this between human beings, right? We have mitzvahs between you and other people, right? So somebody asks you a favor and you deliver that thing on the day. So it sends a message, obviously. It reflects care and the desire to please. When they ask you something and you forget and they ask you again, and finally you get it done two weeks later, this sends a clear message too. The opposite message, which is you didn't care enough to make this a priority. In other words, it was very nice that you did it, but not really that nice because I asked two weeks ago and you didn't deliver. Now, this is an interesting aspect. Women, for those of you who don't know, we are patur from time-bound mitzvot. Women are not obligated in mitzvot that have to do with time, with getting something done at a certain time, okay? And the reason is because Hashem understood about women and our lives and our busy lives, right? That we don't always have control over time, right? We can't control the child who's throwing up when it's time to daven mincha and there's only two minutes left and you're going to miss it because you got to take care of that kid. We can't control things that happen as easily as men can, especially if we're in a situation, right, where we have a lot of people to take care of. Allah is saying sometimes a woman might set out to do something but that so many factors can take over her life. And there are some mitzvahs that have specific windows of time. And these are the ones that she's exempt from. So when we have, when the time is in my control, the question is, is my procrastination changing the nature of the mitzvah? Does delay actually change the act that I've done? Now, this is interesting, and I thought about this too, but somebody asked Dina Schoonmaker the question, well, what about lighting candles, right? Women are time-bound in that mitzvah. We have to light the candles at a certain time, right? And if you miss the time, it's not a good thing. Do you know... Um, do you know that if you miss the time halachically as a woman, you have to light an extra candle for the rest of your life? Yeah, people have stories like that where they light three candles, right? So it's, it's a big deal. So, but obviously, you know, why do we have this mitzvah? We're women. We're running around like crazy. We have like chickens with our heads cut off. We're yelling at kids. We have things, you know, we're busy and we have this mitzvah. And another mitzvah that's also time-bound that women have is the mitzvah of taharat ha right? You have to go, you have to count days, and you have to go to the mikvah at a certain time. Doesn't matter what's going on in your house. Doesn't matter who needs you. You're supposed to be there, basically, unless it's life and death. So I don't have the answers to those questions. Because obviously these two mitzvahs are very committed to time. Okay.
Okay. So uh, actually, Dina Schoomaker tells a story about a, Balch a recent Balchuva who was very bothered by the fact that men have more mitzvot than women, right? This is not an uncommon uh, problem for women coming from the secular world. You know, why do they have more than us? We're equal. We're supposed to be the same. Okay, you want more mitzvot? Okay, well, there's 14 more mitzvot. They're all related to time, but we can give them to you if you really want them. Okay, um, but the point is, as she said, that one day an NCS wire asked her if she could, he could bring one of his campers over who was having trouble with this idea of men having more mitzvot than women. If she, he could bring her uh, this this guy over to watch her serve breakfast to her three children. So anyway, you you know what that looks like. And, and she and he and and she said, my students bother that women are exempt from time bent mitzvot. So I want to bring him. So she said, bring him over and let him watch me serve breakfast. Okay. So what he saw and what she was trying to prove is, you know. Um, that the, the Torah is not judging women and saying that we're inferior, but rather it's saying that women do not have the same kind of control over time. It's not always in our control, right? We thought breakfast with three kids was only going to take 15 minutes or 20 minutes, but it took a lot longer, especially until after we cleaned everything up. Anyway, the point is, is that women are multitaskers, and because of that, we're actually closer to Hashem. We don't need these time-bound mitzvot um, because we are emulating God, even in the fact that we create life, right? The greatest thing that God does is he's, he's the creator. And women mimic that by creating life. And um, Right, and, and, and the, there's a pasuk that says, Mishpate Hashem emet, sadku yachta, that the judgment of God is truth. And his judgment, the Orachayim says on the word sadku yachta, his, his judgment is, is, is unified. It's one. It has a oneness to it. So what it's teaching us here is that God is not a this-worldly judge. A this-worldly judge, when he convicts a criminal, he doesn't care that the father, this man who's a father, isn't going to see his children for five years. Too bad. You know, you're a criminal, I'm throwing you in the slammer. But the idea with Hashem is that when Hashem makes a decree on somebody, when Hashem uses judgment, it has to make sense all around. It has to make sense for all the people all around. In other words, you know, it's very difficult for us to understand this, but God forbid, you know, if somebody dies tragically, if somebody, something happens to a person and it affects so many other people around them, Hashem isn't going to allow it to happen unless in some way, every single person that is affected by it needed it to happen. In some way, whether it's a tikkun for other people's souls, whether it makes people more uh, value life more, whether it makes people behave differently because of it. But God's not going to enact a judgment 
unless it affects everybody in the right way. He takes into consideration yachtav, sadku yachtav, everything together, okay? And the idea of women being more like Hashem is that women are more able to do this too. We take in how things will affect everything around us, right? If somebody asks us to do something, oh, can you do me this favor at two? Okay, but wait, you know, if I'm busy at two, you know, when am I going to make dinner? You know, who's going to pick up whatever, if, you know, like um, who's going to serve dinner if I'm not around? Maybe if somebody asks you to do something at dinner time, right? Or who's going to pick up at carpool? Like they're always busy juggling everything and thinking about how it's going to affect everybody else in their day. Okay, so the Western world is very male. It's very linear. It's, it's one-dimensional accomplishment. But success can be horizontal and not vertical. I can be successful by doing so many different things and not one thing perfectly. So that's the idea of multitasking, which women are generally better at, right? Women are better at multitasking. I mean, this is not something, first of all, we learn it from the Torah. There's an interesting idea. It says, Nashim Datan Kalos, that women are light-minded, right? Women are light-headed. Now, it sounds very derogatory and negative. And, you know, there are halachas based on this, that, you know, a woman can't be a witness in certain cases because she's more emotional because she's lightheaded. But what does the, the word, what does it mean to be lightheaded? So Rabbi Aaron Feldman, I think it was, uh, explains in one of his books that it's talking about woman's ability to multitask. That a woman's mind is able to flit to five different things all at the same time, right? She can be cooking dinner, have a kid on her hip, the phone rings, and a man, you know, he can't do anything else except what he's doing. He's very singularly focused, right? Try it, you know? If you're, you know, if a male is on the phone and they're just schmoozing and you say, you know, could you, do you mind like holding the kid or taking out the garbage or whatever it is while you're just talking? Don't, what? I can't! Don't bother me, right? I know! No! because they can't, they weren't made like that. It's male, I'm doing something already, right? Okay, yeah, so am I, five things, right? <laughs> anyway, so that's the point and that's the reality. And that's the positive spin on women are light-minded. It means that we have the ability to go to different compartments of our brain and do a lot of different things at the same time. And in that way, again, it's the idea that we're like Hashem and that we take in more, right? We go, we go uh, vertical, not just horizontal, not just linear in terms of the way we operate in the world. And so this is the idea of how we, how we are like Hashem. Right? You were going to do A, but B, C, D, and E happened. So you had to shift, right? You had to recalibrate, right? 
Reevaluate. What's the what do they say on the GPS, right? Re recalculating, right? Recalculating. So, you know, women, we can do that. It's much more difficult for men. Okay. Now, what about a person who's single? Okay. So their mantra has to be al cheshbon ma. At what cost am I doing this? Okay. What's the cost for my doing this thing? If you're going to take on another project, you have to think about your relationships and other goals that might be undermined because of it. You have to also pay attention to your internal reality. So if I take on something because of the Zrizos that I have, because I'm somebody who likes to multitask, I like to be doing a million projects. Part of Zrizos is not just the doing, it's also evaluating before you begin doing that perhaps this thing will affect my internal reality, will drain my simcha sachayim, or cause me anxiety, right? If I take on teaching another class, even though I love teaching, is it a good thing or is it not? You know, if I take off next week and, and not see you guys for a week because I'm going to be with my kids who I haven't seen for 14 months, well, maybe I should, right? I mean, I probably should. That's sort of the battle I've been fighting, right? My friend said to me, she goes, wow, you're amazing. Like you're teaching even when you're in Florida. You're, wow. I said, no, I'm just a narcissist and I just can't get over myself. No. <laughs> anyway. Um, so yeah, you have to, you have to check yourself, right? You have to check yourself. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is it Zerizas or is it something that is negative? How will this affect other aspects of my life? You know, does my husband appreciate my teaching? Yeah, he doesn't mind. Okay, for now, that's fine. Great. But you always have to be reevaluating and recalculating. And you also have to check out yourself. How does it affect me? Okay, so going back to the way we do a mitzvah, the way we do a mitzvah. So when you do a favor right away, as opposed to later, again, you're telling the person you're a priority, a priority to me. I'm with you. Whereas the same deed done later is a different deed. So let's say somebody asks you, can I come for Shabbos? So it's very different when a person starts hemming and hawing than to the person who says, yes, come. I don't know. I'm not sure. Right, we can see the difference even in that small delay. Right, we said uh, an example. You know, somebody asks about a girl: Does she have simcha sachayim? Is she a happy girl? Right. Let's say somebody's looking into somebody. So you answer right away. Oh yes, she is such a happy girl. Oh, she's got such right. Or you go, hmm, um, yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She 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 smiles sometimes. Right. Like, obviously, it's a different message, okay? Even the way we pronounce a word, says Dina, do we say, oh, it will be fine? Or do we say, amazing? 
or we schlep it out. That's amazing. But we really mean it's not so fine. Okay, so even Dina's saying, even the way we could schlep out a word that's a positive word, but we're not so sure about the word as we're saying it, okay? Showing up late, okay? This is a big problem with a lot of people. Not mentioning any names. The time that we show up to events, being on time as opposed to being late, right? Lateness, and again, some of this is home air. Some people just, you know, it's really hard for them. They're, they're, there's, a, there's a deficiency. There's a, it's, a, it's a special need deficiency of time, right? Just like some people can't tell their lefts from their rights. And some people are, have terrible direction. They can't, they get lost in the same town. My daughter's always asking me, where's Bathurst Street again? I mean, we've lived here for 16 years. She's a very bright person, but she just doesn't know where she is, you know? My sister's married to a guy who like owned a huge business across Canada, but she hates going anywhere with him. He doesn't know where he is, you know? Anyway, the, you know, and she, and she said when she first married him, they went to Italy on their honeymoon and he kept getting lost. And she just kept thinking, you know, the Yatesar Hara was at high energy. She kept thinking, I married a stupid guy. He's stupid. <laughs> But he's not. He just does, doesn't do this. He just can't do it. So it's the same to some degree with people who are late. You know, in, in some ways. But then it's it's something that we can work on, right? Some people's home air is that they have a difficult time with time. But we know for us normal people that you, when you come late, it's you're, you're showing something about how much you care right? You know, and I've talked to this about this before, that sometimes people who come late, it comes from an insecurity. They want to make a splash. They want to keep everybody waiting. It makes them feel important. It can't start until I come, right? And, you know, there's a lot of psychological stuff that can sometimes be bogging people down. Okay, we're going to end right here in one more second. Now, there are times to pause, okay? There are times to think before you commit. Obviously, on the one hand, we're saying, when you say something quickly, when you do something quickly, you're sending a message that it's important. On the other hand, we don't want this to be a blanket idea about Zerizos. That's what people normally think. But there are times when you should hem and haw to give yourself time before you commit. When you want to make sure that you're really sincere, there are times when there are good reasons to postpone. We're not saying that it's inherently bad, but what we have to do is check if our procrastination is coming from laziness or from sincerity, meaning I want to do this right. I want to make sure I can do it. I want to check myself check my relationships with other people. Is this a good thing for me to do? In general, when someone takes a long time to give you an answer and they get back to you long after the date, we would say to ourselves, well, they obviously aren't interested. They obviously don't care. 
But sometimes it can be that they're really thinking it through. Okay, it depends how long, obviously, this goes on. So what we're going to continue with, I'm not sure about next week, but is how this relates to our relationship with God. In other words, with other people, when we do something quickly, we send a message, I care, I'm interested, I want to do this. And even with other people, again, on the deeper side of alacrity, even when we have to pause, because we want to make sure, sure we're sincere, that we are doing this for the right reasons, right? Or that we're just checking ourselves to make sure we're not getting ourselves into something that we really shouldn't be doing. That's okay. As I said earlier at the first class, Rabbi Palm says, Zrizus means thinking slowly, but doing it quickly. So the idea is, is this is highlighting the fact that there are times when you want to take your time before you do this. So the next step after that is how does this relate in terms of our relationship with Hashem? These two ideas, doing it quickly and all, but adding this second idea, which is before doing it quickly, what does that time period look like for, an, for a zealous, for a Zriza stick of person? Uh, what is that time of getting ready before the act look like for somebody who is truly uh, somebody who has developed themselves in this area of Zrizos. Okay, ladies, I'm sorry I was not as familiar with my notes because I didn't know we were going to get this far or maybe I've just got Florida brain or something. I need some cold winter snowy air to wake up. Brain. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. All Hope you enjoyed this class. To sponsor a future class or for a complimentary and completely confidential coaching session with me, as I support you in reaching your goals and actualizing your true potential, please email me at DeborahDale at Yahoo.ca. That's Deborah. D-E-V-O-R-A-H Vail V-A-L-E at Yahoo.ca